The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. We are starting a new series on the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to give the overview of it, and Pastor Jonathan is going to come, and we're going to be uh, kind of tag-teaming with this message just to kind of paint a picture of this time period, which is so important. It actually covers almost 40 chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, Abraham, who we'll start off with Abram, is is somebody who's still mentioned in the New Testament. He carries over. His life has affected everything of faith that we even carry today. So we want to delve into this, and I think you'll find it meaningful and encouraging. But it's not just a story about three men. It's not a story about three great men. It's a story about a great God, and a God who is revealing himself to a lost people so they know who their God is. He's ending the confusion and has a plan. Before we get into it, though, I want to let you know that Pastor Jonathan sends his greetings to you all. He's at a wedding down in Devon, and he'll be back next Sunday. Yep, his niece is getting married, so he's rejoicing with them. Uh, (laughs) So today, um, I'm going to give you the overview. And what I want to do is I want to just start off with Genesis and kind of paint the picture of the time we're talking about. We all know, well, most of us, if you were brought up in a church, know that it all started with creation. God's making all this good stuff. He says that this is good. He makes man and he says, this is very good. And then the deceiver comes and says to this sweet young girl, hey, God's holding out on you. There's better. Don't trust him anymore. I've got a better plan. And this sweet young girl had lived her complete life in trust of who the Savior was, who God was. Anything he spoke, he listened to. It was truth. There was no debate. There was no thinking about it. It was truth. In fact, so much so that she never looked at that tree as desirable to eat. That fruit never shined in her eye. But the moment she began to doubt who God was, maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there is something better. It says before she even took a bite, she said, she looked at the fruit and saw that it was desirable. And at that moment, the trust relationship between the Father, the maker of all heaven and earth, the one who was a plan, the one who designed laughter, the one who designed love between family members, the one who designed pleasure in work and pleasure in hobbies and pleasure in enjoying creation, he designed it all. It was part of his desire for us to know to rejoice and have joy in all these wonderful things he had planned for us. She walks away from this God who's done all this good and takes a bite. And we know that's the fall of man and all the fallout that came from that. Fast forward a few years later, mankind seemingly has completely forgotten who God is, except for one man named Noah. And the Bible says he was blameless in all the earth, that he was righteous, And so God called him, but they had given themselves over to evil. And I'll just read this one verse because it really paints a sad picture. In Genesis chapter 6, 
verse 5 through 6. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. There's a lot you could say here. Is this a God who doesn't care? No. And and God can't be troubled, really. When you think about it, he's above all things. He has a plan from the beginning to the end. He knows everything. But he's expressing himself. He says, what he saw when he came troubled him deeply. He was bothered by what he saw. That the inclination of man was on evil all the time. And I... I can't get into this today, but if you read the book of Proverbs and other parts of the scriptures, you see that the Bible begins to give us a different definition than evil, than just bad things. Evil is living your life without acknowledging that there's a creator who has a good plan for you, without ever turning to him and say, what should I do? How should I live? What is this all about? And not only is that evil, but it also begets evil. Evil comes from that. That is the heart of it. Living as if there's no God. Even if you say words on your lips or you go to church and you just, you say words, but there's no inclination in your heart. God, what do you have for me? That is evil. And so the inclination of heart of man was completely against God. They were doing such things that God said he was troubled. Can you imagine what he saw when he came? What did God have to see? Abuse? Suffering, weeping, crying, people living for their greed, that's evil. So then, God has to wipe out the earth and start again with one righteous man. And fast forward a little bit longer, he replenishes the earth, he says, okay, things are going to start off great, I'm going to send out the nations. And then in two generations from the time of Noah, you already have Nimrod, and he was building cities across the earth and establishing nations. But here we have the other end of the pendulum. These people seem to be aware there's something in heaven, that there are spiritual forces, there are something more worthwhile than just a void of godlessness. And so instead of swinging to complete wickedness, they begin in their own human effort and power to try to do something divine, to probably lift themselves up to the level of God. Like, hey, I can get up here, we can do this thing. And if you read the scriptures... God's not happy. They swung from one side in Noah, and now they seem to be coming to them other form of wickedness. And he has to give them all new languages and spread them all across the face of the earth. And it's in this environment, in this time, in this view of history, that God comes to a man named Abram. Now, interestingly enough, there's missing details that I would love to know. It doesn't say he came in a big cloud and spoke to Abram and said, this is what you're going to do. He didn't come in in a dream. It doesn't tell us how he came, but however he came to him, it was clear enough that it was, this man could change the course of his life to follow this voice that came to him. Whatever God did, and for some reason God left it out of the story, but God can communicate to his people clearly so that we can follow and we're not guessing. But the way he speaks to Abram is worthy of note today. It's not, 
often when you look at the scriptures, you have to imagine, well, what else could he have said here? How else could he have said it? If God is coming up with this great plan to reveal who he is to the nations, why does he do it this way? It's almost like when you wonder about, uh, why, did, why did God send Jesus to a manger? I mean, why did he do it that way? Why didn't Jesus end up on a big throne? You know, and so everybody knew he was him. Yet today, the story of Jesus in the manger fills our hearts with wonder and imagination, and it touches every aspect of society. Nobody feels left out because he went to the shepherds. There was poverty. It wasn't wealth. Nobody isn't touched by the story of Jesus in a manger. Does God have wisdom? Yes. He knows what he's doing. And let's look at how he approaches Abram in this story. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Genesis 12. And once again, there's nothing said here of why he was selected. A part of my heart wants to, why did he pick Abram of all the earth, of everything? Why? The only thing we know is that he's a tenth in the generational line from Noah. That's it. It doesn't say he was pious. It doesn't say he was religious. It doesn't say he did good things or good deeds. It doesn't say any of that. And yet the picture for the slides in this um, show a very pious Abraham. And we want to kind of dispel that myth that people are that. I tell you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the story were men of faith because they encountered a real God. He came to each one of them in a unique and different way. And because he was real, they had faith. And that's the heart of these three men. But this is God coming and revealing himself for the first time to Abram. And if you look in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I show you. How would you like that? I'll just go, okay? I'm not going to send you to Brixton. I'm not telling you you're going to Exeter. Just go. Pack your stuff, and I'm not, I'm not sending you off to Cambridgeshire or anywhere else. Just go. He tells him just as vague, like, ta-da. Yeah, I use some English words. I'm getting good. <laughs> I could have said Florida, Washington, D.C. But, um, I will make you into a great nation. Now, pause for a moment. This is God in heaven who has been deeply troubled by the course of things. And he selected one man to come and bring about his plans. And he says to him, these sweet words, I will make you into a great nation. There's so many other things he could say. He could say, I command you to do such and such. You must do such and such. You, you have to do this or else. I'll send you to so, so, you know, such and such. I will punish you if you don't listen. He doesn't say any of that. Here the God of heaven, the same one who met with Adam and Eve in the garden, the sweet young couple, came to them and wanted to walk with them in the cool of the day and have that trusting relationship, is revealing again the truth of who he is. He comes in kind words. I will make you into a great nation. Receive that. What if God came to you? I am giving you my son. I am paying for your sins with his blood. 
amazing thing. He comes off with power and says goodness to them, to, to Abram. And I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In this major statement of God, breaking through time and space, choosing a man, he uses the word blessing five times. What is the heart of your God? What is the heart of the God of all the universe who made heaven and earth for you to enjoy? What is his heart? Five times he says, I'm going to release blessing. This speaks of who our God is. In every generation, in every time, there is confusion that comes over the hearts of people. We see terrible things in the world. We see things happening. We don't understand everything. But confusion can begin to settle on us. And we can swing from one end of the spectrum to another. We can be those people that, ah, well, God loves me, nonchalant. I'm just going to go out and do my life my own way, and I'm not going to give much thought to God. And I'm just, eh, I can do it. And we end up kind of like the people in Noah's time, where we have no direction in life, and we're just eh, nonchalant about God. Or we can swing another way and become super religious. And we can condemn ourselves and say, well, this is wrong, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to be better at this. And then when we do that, then we start looking at everybody else. Oh, she should be doing this. And she should be doing that. And he, eh, I'm not sure about that. You know, and judgment and all the wickedness that is not part of his plan becomes a part of who we are. Sometimes I know that there's a voice that speaks that says, no, you don't have to go to prayer. Uh, don't worry about reading the word. You know, you'll be okay. You find yourself a couple months down the road on that track and your natural inclination is to something less than truth. You may still believe in the shed blood of Jesus. You may still believe in good things, but you find yourself on the pendulum towards eh, whatever happens. God loves everybody, or I'm going to work, 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 work. And these are not the heart of God. He is the one who wants to bless you. He's the one who wants to come through. He wants to be with you and have a relationship with you and cleanse away all the darkness. Does it matter if you come to prayer? Does it matter if you seek God? Yes because it cuts through the confusion of this generation and this time so that you can have a real relationship with God. It's not work seeking God. It is our life. And in walking with him in the cool of the day is his intention for us today. Ultimately, he is trying to restore in our hearts the same trust that Adam and Eve had. Whatever he says is just truth. Somebody says something else, that has no appeal to me. I've been with my father. I know my father. He's not telling me a lie. He has been good to me. He takes care of me. He speaks blessing over me. He wants good for me. He says, your name will be great. He says, nations will come out of me. And maybe that's not our spoken word to our life, that nations are going to come from us. But he is speaking blessing over you. You read the New Testament, and you see he lavishes his love upon you, that his grace is immeasurable towards you. One of the great problems is, is that in this flurry of confusion that happens, we can begin to project upon God what we think God should be, not what God says he is. 
For instance, my level of love is here, okay? My level of wisdom is probably down here too. My level of strength is down here, right? There's different levels. When I think of the strength of God and I look in the scriptures, mine's down here, but his is way up here. It's through the roof. He can part seas. He can do anything. He can heal the sick. He's healed my mother's arm, a broken state, and made it new. He's healed. He's not here today, but Prashan was woken up from a coma, he told us the other day. God met him at the end of his hospital bed, and an angel surrounded him, and he woke back up, and the doctors only gave him a 1% chance of even living, and he was going to have no brain left. We serve a God of blessing. As we spend time with him, these truths well up within us and we can walk in the truth. A couple things here. If you look at Isaiah 25, the scriptures speak about this. And it says in Isaiah 25, and he, God, will swallow up the mountain, up on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. And then in Corinthians 4, there's another kind of reference to this. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There is a force trying to keep us from the truth of the goodness of God. But as we seek God, as we read the word, as we pray, and you do need the prayer of others. You can't just rise up in prayer on yourself. If you've ever tried to just pray at home and you find, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. Oh, I can pray 10 minutes and then a month later you're only praying eight minutes. You need the strength of the body to rise up in prayer, to come against the things that are trying to deceive us because deception is real. The New Testament's clear. How do we keep clear of it? We stay with our Father. We read the word of God so that we know that he's loving and kind. He's the one who comes to us, says five times, I want to bless you. I'm going to bless the nation of the earth through you. I don't just want to bless you, but I want to bless everybody else around you. Now, this is just the beginning of the patriarchs, okay? This is just the beginning of our delving into their lives. But today, I want to um, just challenge you. I have a challenge related to the life of Abraham. Uh, Maybe a little far off, but... um, The scriptures are clear. There's one truth that's been resounding in me. And it says in the scriptures many times that we are to love one another. This is the heart of what God is calling us to. Why? Because that's what he wants to do. He wants us to reflect himself, so he calls us to love. And there's a clear way to love that I want to challenge you to today. If you could turn to Romans 15.2. And I'm going to read three of these just so you know that I'm not making it up, okay? This is established now by three testimonies here in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, 2, and then Romans 14, 19. I'll start with Romans 15. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. That's the Word of God. We're supposed to have a heart for other people. That is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to have a heart for others. I loved what Sarah was sharing before, uh, building the community, giving your times and talents to build up even the children and the body. 
but we are to build up our neighbors and the people around us. And we remember in there, Jesus said, who is your neighbor, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Romans 14.19, let us therefore make every effort. Okay, let me slowly read this because this is important here. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, building people up again. Why is this on my heart? Why does it connect to Abraham? Because this is the truth of the word that often gets stolen from us. In the pendulum swing from wickedness to spiritual seeking like Babel, we can make our faith all about us. Do I feel good? Do am I growing? Am I this? We make it all about us. And the gospel, a big part of it, is other people. Because God's heart is for other people. He didn't just say to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, did he? Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole earth. You are to be a blessing. And so this is my challenge to you. We're going to take a moment and pray, and then we're going to kind of wrap things up here. The worship team's going to come up. As part of this series of the patriarchs, God is calling us to build people up, to actively make every effort. Would you say that with me? Make every effort. Were they my words? No, they come from a much more credible source, okay? They're not my words. They're words you can stand on, okay? There are people in your life today, family members, colleagues, people you could reach out to that you could build them up in their faith or draw them closer to Christ just by saying an encouraging word, just by sending them a letter, just by calling them or texting them. Maybe it's somebody you're not in connection with right now, but I want to pray here in a moment and see if God does not give you a name of somebody that you can make your faith about somebody else this week, okay? And reach out to them. I have one story kind of in closing. There was a, a lady I knew, met her a few times. She was a good friend of my sister's. She was a missionary in China. She went from hospital to hospital teaching the nurses there how to do physiotherapy, especially on people who were done with accidents or had special needs because they just didn't have that in many parts of China. And she would spend a month here and then a month at another hospital. And in the closing of one of the months, the head of the hospital came and said to her, you've been here a whole month and done such good. I have not taken you for dinner. You must come and have dinner with my family. And so she got in a little taxi car, took about an hour to get to the place where they were going to eat. And they talked and they chatted. And the man said to her, why do you smile? And she had to be very careful because how you answer that could get you in big trouble in certain parts of the world. So she began backing up and saying, well, I have a God who loves me. And then she saw the door was more open and she began to share how much God loved him and how Jesus had died on the cross. The man was stunned. He'd never heard that there was a God of love. In his upbringing, he had to give gifts to different gods to appease them because they would come and cause trouble. They were mischievous gods. They would actually do harm if he didn't do all the right things. This is the same kind of covering that covers the nations. They don't know who God is, and they have no ability to challenge the thoughts of those around them. 
They have no way to break through and say, no, there's a God who loves. Well, this man was so stunned. This well-educated doctor was so stunned that God loved. She said on the way home from the trip, he sat in the car and said, God loves me. And then he'd say, God loves me. And they said, God loves me. He said it a thousand different ways because he's processing. It was completely foreign to him. Him and his family gave their life to Christ in that taxi cab. They came through because she said one encouraging word, that God loved him. And with the power of God, his eyes were open and he could see. Your words have power. Your encouragement, saying something to somebody who you work with, a friend, a relative, can draw them closer to the love of God. It can help them see clearly. And that's what I want you to see from Abraham today, that God in heaven speaks kind words over us. The New Testament is replete with them. Kind words, lavish, immeasurable grace. Let's share it, amen? Let's pray right now. Father God, we don't just want to agree with a good word. We don't want to just agree with truth, God. We want you to come by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us make every effort, God, to reach one this week with a kind word, with a kind thought, with a kind letter, with a kind call. God, we cry out to you that you would lay upon our hearts a name of someone that we can encourage this week, somebody we can build up, that we could be a blessing to our neighbors and to the nations of the world. God, please speak to us. You are a very real God. You speak names. You speak and give wisdom. You can even help us cross over awkward bridges, God. You can make us risk, God, and become vulnerable. God, we cry out that we would be as vulnerable as Christ, that the vulnerability of Christ would envelop us, God, that we would want to reach. God, give us a heart for those around us today. This week, God, we cry out for encounters with people that we can encourage. And we ask your Holy Spirit to help us in this. Amen.